Thank you for joining us for another episode of Business Conversations, UNT's podcast featuring expert faculty from the Bryan College of Business. Today, we have with us Dr. Michael Savoy. Dr. Savoy is a clinical professor in operations, logistics, and supply chain management at the University of North Texas. He is also president and CEO of Hypergrowth Solutions, or HGS, a company specializing in the integration of business and technology for competitive advantage. Dr. Savoy has over 25 years of experience in executive management, strategic planning, cybersecurity risk management, information systems and data analytics, engineering, operations management, quality, and training. He is an internationally recognized public speaker, serves as a consultant to numerous companies, and is a technology advisor to federal, state, and local governments. Prior to starting HGS, Dr. Zavoy was a co-founder and served as Chief Operating Officer of Integrated Resources Group, or IRG, a nuclear power consulting government contractor focusing on strategic positioning, information technology, and training. At IRG, Dr. Savoy performed work for a myriad of public and private enterprises and oversaw all in-house functions, including accounting, finance, legal, compliance, and human resources. He has also served as the Dean of the College of Technology and Computing at Utah Valley University, where he was named Academic Leader of the Year by the Utah Technology Council in 2016. Dr. Savoy served four terms as mayor of the town of Northlake, as well as one term on the city council. He was a founding member of the Northwest Communities Partnership and served as its first treasurer. Dr. Savoy also served on various boards and commissions in Texas, including the Denton County Transportation Authority, Upper Trinity Regional Water District Board of Directors, the Trinity River Authority Board of Advisors, various mayor's councils, and road coalitions. He was involved in economic development in Denton County, including Texas Motor Speedways and Robeson Ranch. Dr. Savoy has also co-authored the Winning North Lake Strategic Master Plan. The list of his accomplishments, publications, and experiences go on, and we are thrilled to have him here today to talk with us about logistics and supply chain management. Well, thank you very much for joining us here today, Dr. Savoy. We're very excited to hear about the hot topic of logistic and supply chain management. And I just want to jump right in there and ask you, what are some of the biggest challenges that you think supply chains have experienced throughout the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I think the COVID-19 has really been um, an amazingly quick disruption uh, in terms of the business model. And I think that's the biggest thing that caught people by surprise. This wasn't something that, that ramped up over time and then peaked and then is now in a decline. It's really something that we just kind of hit a wall. We went from an incredibly strong economy to a, you know, almost a dead stop. And so uh, what we're experiencing now is what's commonly referred to as an unbalanced line in supply chain. So if you think about it, supply and demand are not synchronized, and that's the biggest issue we're dealing with. So you, what that does when supply and demand are not synchronized, it leads to undersupply and over-demand in some cases. I mean, think about the paper shortages we had, you know, for uh, paper towels and various other things at the beginning of the COVID stuff. Uh, but in other cases, it leads to oversupply and under demand. And in that case, think about what's happening with air travel. You know, we still, you know, America and the various airlines were flying all their flights, but they're flying in. And so you have this disconnect that happens. Uh, the supply chain gets disrupted. Um, and then what you want to do is think about it. One of the easiest ways to think about it is think about an earthquake, right? An earthquake is an unexpected event. So you're going along, everything's great. Then all of a sudden there's an earthquake. 
but the earthquake is just the beginning of what happens. You have aftershocks that come after the earthquake happens. And that's what we're gonna experience here until the line rebalances. We're gonna to continue to experience these aftershocks, if you will. So where we had lack of supply and over demand, uh, eventually we're gonna to start to have that, in, you know, that, that demand's gonna go down, supply's gonna you know, gonna go up and we're gonna still be unbalanced the other way. It doesn't just simply go back to neutral or to a balanced line. It has to kind of work its way through. It's what's called a bullwhip effect. And it just, it has to, it has to calm down over time. So just like you have aftershocks with the earthquake, you would have these aftershocks in the supply chain until everything balances out again. One of the very interesting things was just this morning, uh, IATA, which is the International Air Transport Authority, came out and said that they thought the disruption in the passenger airline uh, travel would last up to five years before it wow. comes back out again. So that gives you an idea of what we're looking at. Wow, that's, that's a very long impact there to have. I like that analogy though, the earthquake, that makes a lot of sense. But do you think any of these issues maybe could have been avoided? Um, and if so, why do you think companies were so ill-prepared or what, ex what barriers do you think they were really experiencing with all this? So I really don't think there's any way that it could have been avoided, right? We talk a lot about risk management and the various other things, but a global pandemic is, while it's a possibility, it's not cost-effective to plan for a disruption of this magnitude. So that's number one. And then number two, it's almost impossible demand to, to plan for something that disrupts so quickly. And it's just, if you, you essentially shut down the global economy in mid-March, and the, the shutdown was almost instantaneous and on a global scale, not like it rolled across a bunch of countries over the next, over six months or so, it really was almost instantaneous. So you went from one of the strongest global economies on record at the end of February to essentially a global shutdown by the end of March. So th there's no way to really plan for something like that. I, I think businesses have done an incredible job of adjusting on the fly. And I think we've seen that. A great example is, is how many restaurants have gone to curbside service and you know, that are sit-down restaurants. You, you've seen an incredible entrepreneurial uh, spirit in these companies to figure out, okay, you've, you've taken away the way I normally do business. You've given me a new set of rules. Now I'm going to figure out how I'm going to work under those rules. And I think that's amazing. And it's kudos to all the businesses that have done that. But it has to, once again, it has to populate through the supply chain. And that's going to take time. Yeah, I think the innovation we're seeing from companies are really it's really impressive and it shows who might be able to last and who maybe might not be able to over the years. So how do you see maybe the pandemic changing the future of how companies invest in supply networks and procedures moving forward, if, if at all? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that, that has become very clear to those of us who work in the supply chain research area is, is how fragile the global supply chain really is. Um, I think a lot of people felt like, you know, the global supply chain is great and, and it runs really well. And yes, you have the occasional uh, hurricane in the, in the Atlantic or Pacific, you have all these different issues, but overall the supply chain is very resilient and it recovers quickly. 
And I think what we're finding is that that's not necessarily true, especially on a global stage, right? Um, but at the same time, we're seeing a lot of resiliency in the more local supply chains, right? So um, for, I think what you're gonna see over time is you're gonna see a movement towards uh, more local investment, especially in manufacturing. Uh, you know, we already had kind of a movement towards, you know, moving back towards a make at home type mm -hmm. environment. And I think we're going to see more of that in manufacturing. Um, I think if you see that, then you're going to see an increase in domestic logistics and supply chain, right? Uh, it's going to take longer for the global economy to recover. Uh, and even if that happens, I think the trend towards build at home is going to continue. I mean, and we're seeing that. Uh, in a lot of cases across the board. We just talked about the restaurants, right? Where, you know, a lot of the restaurants, even if they open here in the next month or two, the social distancing rules are gonna limit them to probably about a quarter of the customers that they could, uh, they could handle prior to the pandemic. So if they're gonna stay in business, they're gonna have to find a way to get back to that 100% of customers. Uh, and that's going to require, you know, different approaches, different uh, ways of doing things. Same thing with the airline industry. Uh, you know, and I don't, I mean, I think there's some very interesting dynamics at play. We're, we're sitting here talking on Zoom, you know, and, and if you look at the numbers in terms of how many people have signed up for Zoom and are now doing video conferencing, um, you know, the question is how many of those are going to look at this and go, you know what, I can do my business this way. I don't need to fly to the client's location. I can do that. And so those are going to be more permanent disruptions in the system rather than the temporary disruptions we're talking about. Um, and I look at that, I call those adjustments, right? So you're going to have adjustments in the system. And we've seen these over time. This is nothing new. When the internet came along, there was an adjustment in the way people did business. That's true. Uh, that's, you're going to see this type of adjustments happening over time. And that's going to require that we, once again, be very entrepreneurial, very agile, and understanding how the supply chain needs to be uh, rebalanced in that new environment. Very interesting. And when you say we'll probably move towards more local investment, how local are you talking? Like maybe regional, city-based, really community? Yeah, I think there's some really interesting uh, dynamics at play in this, right? I think that there was already, prior to the pandemic, a move towards more nationalized manufacturing, right? Where we're seeing companies say, we're, we're too much at risk with what we're doing on the global stage. There's too many political issues and various other things. Um, we probably need to look more at manufacturing. It wasn't a highly motivated incentive, let's put it like that, right? So mm -hmm. it it was there, and we saw it both in the United States, probably as, as, as much as anywhere, but we also saw it in Europe. We saw various other things going, you know, happening where uh, there was a move towards some more locality. In the United States, it's going to be very interesting because we can do not just countrywide, but we can go statewide, we can go to regions, uh, we can go to regions within states. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, I think, is a great microcosm of what we're talking about. Uh, you're seeing tremendous um, logistics and supply chain happening in the region. Um, we're seeing a lot of high tech. We saw that over the last 20 years or so. 
coming into the Dallas-Fort Worth area and driving a lot of stuff. We have tremendous work being done in biosciences and life sciences. So you've got a microcosm in the DFW area that could actually be a good test case for the type of things we're talking about. But I, I do think you're going to see a move towards more local because, you know, with the, if you shorten the distances, you shorten the time to get products and services, you simplify the supply chain in many cases, not in all cases, but you do simplify the supply chain and that's going to be easier to manage and it's going to be easier to bring that back to a balanced state than it is to try to bring a global supply chain to a balanced state. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So could you maybe identify some examples of companies that have implemented effective supply chain management strategies during this time and maybe what makes them so successful compared to their peers or competitors? Oh, it, it's kind of hard to say right now as we're still in the beginnings of the supply chain disruption, you know, we're kind of in the middle of everything, but um, the initial disruption was really caused by panic buying. So it was consumer driven, right? So if you, if you look at stores like Central Market, for example, they were able to maintain a relatively normal supply of products because their shoppers didn't panic on the whole, you know, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And much of their supply chain is local. So, you know, HEB was able to move product in and around Texas uh, fairly quickly, fairly efficiently, and able to handle most of their stores. So you didn't see the, the broad disruptions there as you saw in some of the, in some of the other grocery stores and, and uh, other stores that are out there. But I think as we move into the summer months, the disruptions will move from the consumer disruptions and they'll be more focused in the supply chain. So it, think about the meatpacking industry. They've been in the news a lot lately. So what's happening there is the meatpacking, the meat processing plants are shutting down. Uh, because they're having, you know, large coronavirus outbreaks in the in the ship in the packing plants. So the processing is not happening. So what you have is farmers and farmers and ranchers have no way to send their livestock. So they're used to sending to that middle person in the supply chain and they can't send because those processing plants are shut down. So how the farmers and ranchers have to figure out, well, what am I going to do with this excess livestock? How am I going to handle that? So you read about you know uh, dairy farmers dumping milk right because they have no they can't send it for processing and stuff and and they can't store it themselves they're not set up for that so that's that's not part of the supply chain that ability to store the product because it's perishable so you have that side of it well on the other side um, as you look at the plant as the plants are closed meat's not being processed and since meat is not being processed it's not going to get shipped to the grocery stores. And so we're going to see a food store, a food shortage, but uh, a meat shortage, right? Not really a food shortage, but a meat shortage in the, the grocery stores and stuff as we move into the summer, uh, not because there's not meat, but because we don't have the supply chain operating efficiently. And until those processing plants come back online, uh, then you have to fill the pipeline with livestock. And one of the concerns is that if it takes too long, for the processing plants to come back online, farmers and ranchers may destroy livestock, their excess capacity. And then when the plants come back on, there's no supply for the plants, which means there's no supply to the grocery stores. So that's when we talk about a balanced line, that's what we're talking about, is that ability to balance the line. And, and if there's a disruption anywhere in the supply chain, 
that disruption has to work its way through. So I do think we're going to see some, some issues with shortages um, as stuff comes back online, uh, as demand increases for products, as people get back out into, into the workforce and stuff. And it'll take a little while for the lines to balance out. But I, I think, like I said, overall, I think people are doing an amazing job adjusting and bringing their, their businesses in line with the post-pandemic way of doing business. Absolutely. That's very interesting, the trickle effect of how just everything affects the bigger, bigger picture here. And I imagine the demand for produce might grow a little bit as we get a, a lower demand for and lower supply for meat here. So we may see more yeah. people out planting vegetable gardens and things around their well, home. Well, you know, and, and yeah, we've seen a lot of that. People are staying home and they've got extra time on their hands and a lot of people are planting gardens. And so, you know, you think about it, it's not a, it's not a big giant thing here, but if you have a lot of people planting their own gardens and growing their own produce, then that's less produce they have to buy at the store. That's true. It's basically a zero sum game. So as we watch these different things happen, we'll, watch, we'll be watching the supply chain to see you know, where the supply and demands are and how they end up balancing out in the long run. It should be very interesting to see how that all pans out. So as obviously a professor of logistics and supply chain management at UNT, what would you say to students who are pursuing a degree in that field or thinking about pursuing a degree? Well, you know, I, I, I'm obviously unbiased, right? But I'm going to say there's never been a better time to pursue a degree in operations, logistics, and supply chain. It, the, the pandemic has refocused attention on both the global and domestic supply chain. I mean, you can't, you can't listen to a news uh, program or pick up a newspaper or read something online that's not talking about the disruptions in the supply chain and the things that need to happen. So I think the graduates in you know, the operations, logistics, and supply chain are going to be in great demand for years to come. I, I think as we, as we not only recover from the current pandemic, but as we develop new programs, new philosophies, new models around resiliency of the supply chain, that's going to be absolutely critical, right? So we need that robustness. We need these new models to look at. So I think there's going to be some really good opportunities. The other thing I would tell students, especially at UNT, is that DFW is one of the largest and hottest logistics markets in the world. You know, all you have to do is drive from 35, drive 35W from Denton down to Fort Worth, and you're gonna see enormous uh, smart warehouses, logistics companies, um, you know, just incredible shipping companies and stuff that are, that are locating here. I mean, think about it, uh, FedEx, UPS and Amazon all have major hubs within 15 miles of the UNT Denton campus. That's, that's really the only place in the country that that's true. Um, and, and, and they are surrounded by companies that use their services. So it's an amazing opportunity for the students at North Texas because all of these companies that are, that are creating these, these new um, facilities are going to need qualified employees. And guess what? UNT is right up the road. So I, think, I don't think the times have ever been better for our students to really look at these programs uh, because I think the job market is going to be really strong for the next, you know, for the next several years and probably for years to come. I absolutely agree. I think it's, I think it's a great field to get into at UNT. They'll be strategically located to succeed, especially with 
professors like yourself will be in a good position to really get ahead. So we're well, thrilled to have you and, and have your expertise today. This was all really wonderful to hear. Are there any final thoughts you might want to share with us? No, I think it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I, I think people, I think if people are thinking that this is going to, the pandemic's going to disappear in, in June or July and everything's going to be back to normal in August, I think they need to take a pause and, and really think about that. Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, we have to define what's normal uh, come out of this. And then number two, they're going to have to recognize that until the supply chain balances out, they're going to continue to see these, these disruptions. They're going to get less and less. And, you know, we're going to see these, you know, they're going to get more and more minor and, and we'll adjust to life and we'll be perfectly fine. But um, it's a great area to really understand. If you want to understand what is actually happening on a global stage and, and what's going on. I think this is a great area to take a good look at. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you again for joining today and really appreciate all of your insight and expertise. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.